0: Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go. Hey guys,
1: welcome back to We Got Balls. And today we're going to be talking about enmeshment. And you may be like, enmeshment, Chris, what the hell is that? What are you you guys up to today? And one of the things that we really want to engage today is the fact that we may feel like sometimes when we're growing up that we're married to our mother. I don't know uh, if you've ever felt like that, Scott, but I've talked to a lot of guys. who This is a really big struggle because they go home and they pretend they're basically their mom's husband or second husband or surrogate husband or whatever it may, may feel like. And it's kind of messy. It's kind of icky. It's like, I'm stuck in this, in this, uh, this three-way
0: in my parental marriage. Ugh. Yeah. And, um, there are, there are times that I have felt that way growing up and, um, it is a very sticky entangled Well, that's where the word enmeshment comes from, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's a a big web that you kind of really can't untangle on your own. So what what we want to do today is bring some clarity to this idea that, um, you know, you're you're supposed to be separate from mom. You're supposed to not have a emotionally intimate relationship with mom that maybe is greater than her relationship with her partner or your dad. Uh, There's a lot to be unpacked here, Scott, and I think... A place to start, maybe with a story of a friend of mine who just really grew up feeling like that, and, and you actually alluded to this uh, in a previous episode, that it was his responsibility to take care of his father. Whenever it came to a place where, um, you know, dad needed to be disciplined or dad needed to, to be uh, corrected, mom would come to the son and say, you need to go say this to your dad or do this for your dad, especially There's plenty of stories of you can go get your dad out of the bar, you know, go down to the bar and get your dad out. And that's that feels very sticky and very icky because here it is a a boy, sometimes eight, nine, ten years old, walking into a bar trying to confront his father and other grown men about why he he should do what his mother says he should do. And it just it just feels like a terrible situation for a a young man, a boy to be put in. And, and, you know, Scott, that's why we want to have this conversation because it doesn't give any outs for the boy. It really feels like an impossible dynamic to live through.
0: Yeah. So just to set this in the broader context that we talk about kind of engaging your story, how did you develop, what was your family system? Like we've talked about kind of the harmful family systems that have been identified as the cause of any kind of struggle With unwanted sexual behavior. So, there's rigid families, there's disengaged families, there's a combination of rigid disengaged, and the fourth type that is extremely common among those who struggle with unwanted sexual behavior or any kind of acting out behavior at all really is enmeshment, or it's called triangulation or Mm -hmm. emotional incest. So, it can go by any of those terms, but really it's describing this scenario where one of the parents turns to one of the children in the family and spousifies them, turns them into a spouse surrogate now why usually usually an opposite gendered child usually usually the opposite sex child, but not necessarily so you I've seen scenarios where it can be the same sex parent it meshes with their ch- their son. And I have seen instances where both parents mesh with the child. So a special child is chosen to play the role of the savior of the family or the savior of the mother's relationship or the father's relationship. And you can always, you know, this is a very difficult um, dynamic to diagnose with guys. And part of the reason for that is, is because it's so hard to face the reality that I was turned into a spouse for my parent,
1: yeah, and and let's and let's let's put a label on that, and we'll come back to it later in the episode. Uh, some people have called this subtle sexual abuse. Now, let me be very clear; it's not implying that your mother touched you in any way. Uh, there may be situations where both of these things happen, but this idea that your mother has put you in a place where you're responsible for caring for and being emotionally attuned to both her and what's going on around you all. Yeah, And so they're, they're very, there's a lot of grooming similarities between this type of behavior and sexual abuse.
0: That's right. So usually to help a guy diagnose this, I'll ask him, tell me about your relationship with your mother and your father. What was that like? And then the second question, so what I'm looking for in their description of their mother and their father's relationship is, was there delight between the two of them? Did you see them show physical affection? Did you see them hug? Did you see them kiss? Did you see your dad kind of pat her on the rear? Did you see her do that to him? What was the display of mutual delight that you saw in your household growing up? If the answer is, well, I don't remember, that's your aunt. That's your data, right? If you would have seen that, you would remember it. And so that absence of affection between uh, the two parents necessitates that one of the parent, probably both, have to take their emotional life to somewhere in the family system. They're going to look for a child to become their comfort in their emotional relationship. Because wait, wait, wait. time out, time out, time
1: out, time out. I get that sometimes the parents aren't safe together, but why can't a parent just find um, a connection with another adult? I mean, you know, I mean, could another family member be helpful in helping a parent process through those feelings? Would there you know would there be a counselor or a therapist that could do that why does it why does it often turn into that emotional
0: relationship with a child? Well that is the next kind of line of connection just naturally that occurs in a family system mm. so it's it's much easier to go and take my emotional life to my daughter or for my wife to take it to one of my sons than it is for us to go outside of the marriage and have an affair or an emotional affair. <laughs> Did you just hear that? I mean, that
1: is—it's true. It's absolutely true. I'm not—I'm not denying what you said, but the default pattern in a family system when there's struggle between two spouses is to take your emotional stuff, your your emotional uh, baggage to your children. If if that's not a setup for harm, that many of us have felt, and which is why. I want to say this very clearly, families are not always the safest place to find a safe community because there's an agenda there. What Scott just said is it's safer for me to enmesh with a child than it is for me to let the world know that I'm in trouble.
0: Yeah. So that's the first question I ask is what, tell me about what your parents' relationship was like with one another. The second question I ask is, who were you closer to, your mother or your father? Hmm. And tell me about that. And then I just confirmed the third question is, so you're telling me that you were closer to your mother than she was to your father. Now, what I've done is help them understand the concept of triangulation, because Mm -hmm. if you draw a triangle between the mother and the father relationship, and then between you and the mother, you draw two lines. What's the closer line? And complete that triangle. So so what you're
1: saying, you put mom, dad, and me on a piece of paper. And if I'm closer to my mom, that line is shorter. If she's farther away from my dad, that line is longer. If I'm farther away from my dad, that line is longer. And so on the picture... There's this narrow section between me and my mom and a great distance between me and my dad and her and my dad. That's right. And so now I've defined that as a triangulated, possibly a meshed relationship.
0: Yep. And you're looking at the distance between the points in the triangle, What's connect, yeah. who's connected with who. So then guys can easily start to diagnose that. Now, diving in a little deeper, there's actually four kinds of enmeshment that I've seen identified in the literature on this. And I'll just cover them briefly. But the the categories are, Critical and demeaning, dependent and/ or fragile, sensual or sexualizing, and infantilizing or hyperprotective. There's no exclusivity in these categories. so you could, you could have blends of these, but these are kind of discrete ways that you can think about how does a measurement actually show up in my experience. So the first one, critical or demeaning, is typically where a parent will take the child and idealize them for what they wish their spouse was like. So if, if I'm a mom that's triangulating my son to become my ideal husband, I come up with this idea of what a real husband is supposed to be like. And I'm imposing that on my relationship with this child because I can manipulate and control the child when I can't control and manipulate my husband that's kind of creepy like husband 2.0
1: right so you got yeah. a kid who looks may look remarkably like your husband uh, especially in childhood photos and now you have this 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 do over this this redo of this broken relationship so I'll just I'll be closer to my son than I am to my husband in, in a very wounded sense in, in thinking
0: that may make sense to some people yeah and but the problem with this is nobody can live up to an ideal absolutely right this is a fantasy. So mm-hmm. now I'm taking the child and causing them to conform to a fantasy, which completely takes their own personality, their authenticity, and requires them to bury that and develop a false self. Okay. So now as a child, I feel like I have to be this ideal version of what my mommy wants. And when I don't match up to that ideal, what do you think happens?
1: there's disappointment. There's uh, a loss of worth and value and purpose. There's disconnection, all those things. Maybe I'm going to be punished. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be punished. So I want to hit on something, Scott, that you said, and I know we're going to get to these other means that you can see enmeshment, but as you're listening to these, I want you to hear this one key thing that runs through all, all these. A parent's role is to develop and, and um, inspire the beauty and goodness of their child to lift their delight, to lift their desire, to become the adult that they were made to be. What we're talking about in all these scenarios is a parent who instead of lifting a child's delight and, and giving them more freedom and more opportunity to be who they want to be and explore all the aspects that they need to explore to figure that out, they're being put in a box and used instead for the delight of the parent. And so when we, when we talk about this, this is why it feels it's such a, a, a messy dynamic because it pulls on this I-have-to-love-my-mom-and-honor-my-mom desire that's in every child uh, or, or dad. Again, I'm not going to put moms in this box because either parent can amesh, right? So I want to be able to honor my parent, but I don't I can't differentiate the, their role when I'm a kid. They're just who they are. So when they're pulling from me, I think that's normal. I think that's the way things are supposed to be. And so I become to I learned to expect that and learn to take care of my own needs in a very suppressed, compressed kind of way. But everything that you're going to be talking about is this reversal of what needs to happen for a parent to care for a child, I become the parent in a way that I'm completely inept and undeveloped to, to do.
0: That's right. And you can't diagnose that as a kid. You don't have the cognitive ability to go, hey, I'm really being used here by one of my parents and I'm not allowed to be my authentic self. You're just going to feel that the requirement to be attached because we're going back to attachment, my requirement to stay secure and safe in this relationship is I have to become who they want me to be, not where my natural inclination and my authenticity is driving me to be. And so I develop this false persona that I present to them to meet their needs, and then I have to suppress my authenticity. Now I've split off myself into two different consciousnesses and that's where the madness kind of starts in our lives. And, and I would even say this, uh, this, and you, you alluded to this, this is one of the hardest
1: dynamics, family dynamics to diagnose because it's it hides itself in plain sight. Yeah. It, it, it feels like this is just how my life always was. So you can't do it as a child. You probably will never do it as a teenager. And you may be 40 years old before you look back and realize, oh, damn, I was a Yep.
0: Number two category is dependent and or fragile. This develops in the relationship between a, a child and a parent where the parent seems unable to cope with life. They're yeah. anxious. They're fearful. They have this very delicate kind of I'm going to fall apart at any moment personality. And the child now becomes the caretaker of mom or dad, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's a lot of what you were talking about, going in and getting dad out of the bar or, yeah. you know, getting mom, rescuing mom from dad's uh, berating uh, emotional abuse all the time. And also being a comforter and a soother, you know, mom, it's
1: okay. Dad, it's okay. You know, you, I mean, I, I've heard stories of of a guy whose dad was just very withdrawn and shut down and the son would give give the dad pep talks. Because the dad was so fragile and and really he just, you know, it's just work is so hard. Dad, you can do it. You, you're a good provider for us, which is just it just screws with the kid's head because yeah. here he is in, a, in in middle school trying to help his dad be the provider that he needs.
0: Yeah. Um, number three is sensual or sexualizing. This is where the parent is taking their sexual longings to the child. This can be extremely damaging because again, when you grow up in a family where your mother or your father are sexualizing you, how do you know that that's wrong? Yeah. yeah. So what's the
1: spectrum of sexualizing, Scott? Because I mean, obviously on the far end, you're like literal sexual abuse, but um, how, how could a child be sexualized and maybe not even
0: know it? Well, kind of the key to decoding any of this is boundary violations. So you have to look at what is an appropriate relationship that a parent has with a child emotionally and sharing information and touching their bodies so it could be starting very subtle like you walk down the stairs you're you're a, a boy and your mom goes wow those jeans look really good on your butt you know and it feels weird as a teenager for your mom to be kind of praising your butt um you know I've heard guys, Get into positions where their mom walks into their room and is, ma- you know, they were masturbating, and their mom walks in and sits down, and she clearly knows what they've been doing. sits down right next to him and goes, "What are you doing?" You know, and very prying, very intrusive, um, all the way to out-and-out sexual abuse. So, but this is a very, this is a squeamish one to kind of engage because it gets into that area of incestuous activity.
1: Yeah. And I would, I would add in, in the middle as well is a lot of times oversharing about uh, sexual um, experiences and sexual desires from a, from a parent to a child, um, you know, almost pornifying your child by, by saying, uh, well, you know, your dad does this, or your mom does this, or I remember back in college, I had a lover who did this. And, you know, when you're a child, you want intimacy with your parent. You just don't want to hear about their sexual exploits, and really, that no child wants to hear that from a parent at any point in time.
0: Um, so sometimes parents walking around nude, you know, yeah. it can be really inappropriate in the way that's done. Um, the other thing that I've heard that is really damaging, that really flies under the radar, most guys don't realize this, is sleeping in, in bed with parents. Way past an appropriate age, so what's an appropriate age? past five years of age, it starts to become really inappropriate when you're in bed with a parent. That's a highly sexualizing situation, well, and
1: even parents coming in and maybe not sleeping all night, but cuddling with older children and it 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 yeah. being a, a routine now, I mean obviously, there's times for comfort and if there's a child that's in distress and you and they and you're in the bed and they come in that's I'm not saying that was bad, but it's it's not helpful to have a routine where it feels like that the parent is comforting themselves by comforting the child.
0: That's
1: right. That's right.
0: And then the number four one is infantilizing or hyperprotective. So this is the classic smother, you know, or the dad who says to his daughter, I'm going to sharpen the uh, knives while your boyfriend comes over and ch-. like this kind of overprotective um helicoptering over the kids and treating them like they're babies way past a developmentally appropriate time. No, you can't ride in the back of a pickup truck when you're a teenager. No, you're not going to go with your friends to the mall. No, you're not going to, you know, this becomes a way for a parent to again, control the child so that they the child's available to meet my needs versus letting the child develop on their own. So, this brings up an important point. We talked about rigidity and, and rules and how a lot
1: of rules can push people into sexually acting out, especially when they're paired with emotional disengagement. So what's the difference between a parent who has a very rigid mindset, uh, very either religious or, or just militant in the way they think life should be lived, and this infantilizing of a child? Is there a difference there? Is it
0: both and? I think it can be both and. I mean, I've I've heard situations where um, the parent will cut the child's food when they're seven or eight years old, wipe their bottom when they go to the bathroom, and treats them basically like a baby and and does that continually into adulthood. Here, let me balance your checkbook for you. Let me do your laundry for you. Um, So anytime you see this, like cut the apron strings, okay? Anytime you see that kind of clinginess on a parent's part, You need to be really curious about that. And, you you know, I I think about the words of Jesus here when he says, you've got to leave your father and mother to cleave to your wife. If there's no leaving, there's no cleaving. And so much of the problems that are created in early marital relationships are due to a a son in particular not being willing to leave his father and mother. And it's important to realize that that command to leave – or that invitation to leave, rather, is um, it's not a geographical thing. Because in the Middle East, when that's being written, kids worked on the family farm. They helped raise the sheep. They were part of the family system that was needed for everybody to survive. So it's not a locational invitation. It's a relational invitation. You've got to be willing to leave mommy and daddy. You've got to be willing to cut the apron strings to your emotional loyalty to them. And that's really fundamentally what it comes down to is enmeshment is a demand on a parent's part for you to be loyal to me, Chris, above anybody else in your life, even as an adult. I'm to be your first responsibility. You're to honor your father and mother. And even spiritual, you know, abuse is used to maintain this tight bond that parents want to do, you know, when when they're enmeshing with their child. It feels like cults, and and very
1: uh, high honor code systems are are really are really using enmeshment to further that end, which is it's it's the institution, it's the family, it's the system uh, that that really deserves the honor and the respect at the expense of its members. And so maybe one or two people benefit the father or the mother uh, but usually, the usually the dad benefits, but the children pay the price, and and they're the ones that are sacrificed for the greater glory of this system. And so, you know, as you're as you're talking about that, Scott, I just get this deep sadness in my body because I've experienced enough of this to know how. Um, disenfranchising it is and, and how, how confusing it is because I think that I'm finding my purpose. I'm finding my meaning. I'm finding what life is all about in these relationships, in this enmeshed relationship. I'm, I I know how to care for my mother. Well, and I'll tell you one of the other pieces about enmeshment. Um, And this is just like everything else. It goes one of two ways. Guys, especially who've been enmeshed have, have, are really very infantile and they don't know how to care for themselves or anybody else. They're just emotionally neglectful or they are the best playboys on the face of the earth. They can spot a wounded woman from across the room and make eye contact and know exactly what to do and say
0: to get her in bed. So you're bringing up a really interesting point because I think enmeshment by a mother towards her son in particular results in a unique sense of being emasculated. Yeah. Like my balls and penis get checked in, in my relationship with my mom. I'm not allowed to develop into a man. Or I have and to what prove I going to do? that I am a man by conquest. Yeah. So, again, so, so both that, sides, yeah. That's the two options. I can either rebel against that by staying in that position of refusing to grow up and just being Peter Pan all the rest of my life, or I can become this hypersexual version of what I think a man is supposed to be like in rebellion against my mother. But so much of guys' sexual acting out behavior can be driven by that sense of, screw you, I'm going to be the man that I want to be, mom. And it's really going back to this little boy that's trying to find himself and develop his own identity. He's just going about it in a way that's not going to get him there. It's crazy in the acting out itself, and stories that I've heard of guys that struggle with enmeshment. They're, they're
1: they're beasts in the conquest, but in the bedroom, they're little boys. They're they're yep. longing to be nurtured and cared for. I mean, this is not a this is not an anger at mother. This is a lust for mother. This it says, is, will, will you be the woman who who? could see me and give me delight and help me experience in my body what it was like to be cared for. And, of course, it's sexualized as an adult, and there's that twin um, gift of nurture and play at the same time in the sexual act or in the fantasy of the sexual act, uh, even if you, if you can't or if you have not yet crossed over the flesh line. And so that's, that is the real desire of every man is to be seen, soothed, And to feel safe, but as we've said before, there is no security in addictive compulsive behaviors. It doesn't last.
0: And, you know, it's just interesting that, you know, we're brought into this world. One of the ways we get comfort and nurture is sucking on our mother's breasts. But that behavior gets repeated in adulthood. As an adult male, I like to suck my wife's breasts and she likes to have her breasts sucked. And it's comforting, but it's now comfort has become arousing as well. So there yeah. is a relationship between care, play, yeah. and sexual lust. Yeah. You said right? it.
1: You said it, Scott. You said it out loud. I like to suck my wife's breasts, and she likes to have her breasts sucked. So that's, you know, that's like one of the the fundamental aspects of sexuality that nobody talks about because there is a maternal uh, nurturing aspect that is given by the woman and received by the man. And yet play is in it for both. And there is excitement and arousal and uh, maybe even orgasm. I mean, there's such things as nipple orgasm, Scott, they do exist. And, yes, there is. and so, you know, here we go. We're, we're, we're reversing, hopefully in a healthy way with a, with a, a partner who is consensual and stable that can stay with you. This experience of, not being taken advantage of and being free to be uniquely me without my, uh, my energy, my e- emotional giftedness being stolen from me.
0: Yeah. So I think the thing to get curious about is asking that question is, have I ever really left my mother and father in an mm-hmm. emotional sense? Have I been willing to cut, have I been willing to name how I still have a bond with them Right. That has never been severed. And you can be 60 years old and still have a loyalty to your parents who have passed on that is reflected in how you relate to your wife, reflected in how you relate to yourself, reflected in your sexuality. If you've never kind of named this as a struggle in your life and be willing to sever that loyalty that you have always felt to caring for your parents, to being their spouse. And so, if, if How do you diagnose this in your life? I think, again, those questions, was I closer with my mom or my dad? Were they close to one another? And is there a lot of confusion in my relationship with my parents or my relationship with my spouse um, around these matters? Yeah, so by confusion, let me put a few notes on that. Um,
1: number one, do I get uncomfortable spending uh, time with one of my parents in an emotional setting? When I spend time with them for too long, do I feel like I'm getting pulled on or tugged on? Does my spouse complain about the um, uh, over-involvement or um, uh, you know uh, relational dynamics with a particular uh, parent? Now that may be on the spouse's end, but a lot of times I've heard this many many times, Scott where, you know, I've heard my wife talk about my mother for years and I just never listened to it. She would complain that every time I'd go over the house, I'd be her little boy and she'd be so excited to see me. And she'd, she'd, you know, uh, take care of me and neglect everyone else. And she, and my wife would just complain about this. And I was like, well, I don't understand what's going on. It's because there's an enmeshing dynamic that has not been recognized and broken from. And, And let me say this, um, when you recognize it, guys, unfortunately, it's your
0: responsibility to do the work to create the break, to leave. You, you made me think of something else that we didn't really cover that's important to mention is that enmeshment damages you not only in consuming your childhood, right? So you become the parent to the – or the spouse to the child or the parent to the child, but it also creates an envy with the uh, the parent that is not enmeshed with you. So if my mother enmeshes with me – How does my father feel about that? How does my father feel about my mother confiding in me and being more emotionally close to me than to him? Not too fond. And my brother is not too fond of that as well. So it puts everybody on alert that you're the special one. And so when I'm with mom, you know, I'm close to the throne. But when she's not around, I'm going to be punished by everybody else because they're really envious and they can't stand the special favor that I'm showing. I think it's interesting that one of the longest stories in the Old Testament, the story of Joseph, is a story of enmeshment. It's a story of a father enmeshed in his son to the point where he gives him all the special favors. The multicolored code is that symbol of that. I love this one more than all of you. And it makes his brothers so angry and envious that they try to murder him. And I think it's instructive that, you know, the the Bible is so honest about the patriarchs and these people that we esteem and admire, they're really messed up. Here we have a gigantic story of enmeshment in the founding scriptures of both Judaism and Christianity. So this is a problem that's been around since the creation of man. And um, it'll keep going. It'll it'll keep going. It has to be engaged. Yeah. Yeah, it'll keep going. You want to engage it. And be
1: curious about it in your story. Yeah. So. And guys, as, as we do this work together and you, know, you listen in, we're having these conversations that hopefully will pique your interest to go further. And so we'd really encourage you to reach out. We'd love to talk to you individually. You can reach out to us at the, uh, our links below. Uh, but also we want to get you in an environment where you can sit with not only us, but other guys as well. And begin to do the work of naming these things and experiencing in your body something different than the old dynamics that you've grown up with in your family uh, all your life. So uh, we do that through intensives. We do that through getting together for a weekend, uh, either virtually or in person. And we'll have opportunities for that. You can go to wegotballspod.com to find out uh, when those are going to be scheduled and how you can sign up for that. Uh, but most importantly, connect, my friend. Connect. Uh, relationships are the only method to heal from the shame and the brokenness and the disconnection that I didn't get when I was young. So um, podcasts are great YouTube videos are great books are great. Uh, they give us insight but they're just the the mile markers they're just the signpost on the road of relational healing. And so we want to make sure that we follow our own path. So if you got uh, more questions you want, to. Check us out, then I would encourage you to listen in to a future episode of what we got to say here on We Got Balls. And you do too. Take care, guys. Talk to you soon.
0: Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at pornfreemasculinity.com and with Scott at successfulmen.com.